Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. My name is Mark Arlapage, and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where each week I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise, all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. This is episode 308, how to grow your architecture firm and break through to the next level. This episode of Entree Architect Podcast is supported by our platform sponsors, RCAT, the online resource delivering quality building material information, CAD details, BIM specifications, and so much more, all free at RCAT.com. FreshBooks, the cloud-based accounting software that makes running your small firm easy, fast, and secure. Spend less time on accounting and more time doing the work you love. And Gusto, easy online payroll, benefits, and HR built for modern small businesses just like ours. Andy Goldstrom, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. At Midcourse Advisors, two-time Inc. 500 executive Andy Goldstrom and his team help companies grow profitably and do it fast. Andy is the firm's managing partner and is an expert at selling and operating uh, in service-based businesses. Andy's primary, uh, primary background is in the commercial real estate industry, but he also has worked with startups and technology companies and nonprofits. Uh, based on his background, he's sought after business partner and speaker. Uh, Andy has success, uh, is started, struggled, scaled, and successfully sold businesses that enabled him to develop a proprietary model called business offense 
to optimize business growth, which is what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about growth. Uh, this has helped numerous businesses grow fast and avoid the pitfalls that can derail success. Andy is also a part-time instructor where he teaches entrepreneurship at Georgia State University. So Andy, I, I gave the audience a little tidbit about who you are, a little bit of the background of who you are, but I'd love to dive a little bit deeper. I'd love to go into your origin story and learn where you found the passion, where you were inspired to uh, to do what you do today and share that story to where you find yourself at this moment. Sure. Um, thanks for the introduction and happy to dive into my background, which has kind of developed my passion. Um, I am um, originally from Connecticut and I'm a state school guy. I went to the University of Connecticut, studied undergraduate. I was a computer science person and learning things like Fortran and COBOL. Uh, and all those antiquated uh, coding tools nowadays. But it, um, and when I got through my uh, undergraduate career, I didn't know what to apply it to. So I took a real estate course, a principles of real estate course, and really got hooked because it was tangible and something that I could apply my skills to. There were so many different aspects to the business from architecture to appraisal to development to brokerage. Uh, and ever since I've been somebody who's been in that field, uh, basically driving growth either in service businesses or uh, occupier businesses themselves. Uh, the first company that I was a part of um, that had significant growth, I became a partner in a company called USI. It was a fully integrated service-based business that modeled itself after Ross Perot's EDS business. It became an integrator of all services to a corporate occupier from strategy to uh, transactions, design and construction, uh, legal lease review and database management. So we had all of those under our, our belt. We grew to become an Inc. 500 company with some uh, really cool clients like Delta Airlines and Computer Sciences Corporation and United Technologies, where we did all of their work nationally and put teams on site to do that work. Uh, we sold the business to Johnson Controls in 2005, and, and I became the, the Southeast leader for that integrated group. And the reason was, was we need facility management, uh, and it was easier to be bought than to try and build that type of labor-intensive business. Uh, and they needed all the other aspects to help manage the life cycle of the real estate. Um, I have since been uh, uh, the head of real estate globally for Deutsche Bank. We had 3,000 properties in 70 countries. So I got some global experience, which was uh, very uh, neat to be able to um, drive savings, drive industrialization, drive use of technology. Uh, and uh, in the last three years, I opened my own shop um, of which I'm the managing partner called Midcourse Advisors. The whole idea of Midcourse is if you're in the midcourse of your business life cycle, you tend to need to make adjustments uh, to help propel you to where you want to go. Uh, and I've made uh, uh, in order in, in growing the businesses that I've had and in working with the customers in, uh, that I've worked with more recently, uh, I've been able to help companies uh, and people avoid some of the mistakes that I've made and implemented some tools and methodologies to help them grow faster and more efficiently. 
Yeah, and that, and that's why you're here on this show because a lot of architects, you know, the, there are a lot of architects who are listening who are startups and small firms that want to grow into, you know, mid-sized growing firms, and there are so many listeners who are, are right in that position right now that have, you know, uh, growing firms, they want to grow them into larger firms and they're, they're meeting some obstacles, they're hitting some walls, um, and they don't really know what to do. They're, and maybe they're on a plateau, they just don't know how to get to the next level. And so it's great to have you here. I think it's going to be a, an interesting conversation. Before we get into that conversation, I wanna just go back to uh, a earlier point that you made in your, in your uh, origin story about going from computer science to real estate and that you took a course and you fell in love with real estate. What was it about real estate that sort of lit you up, that, that there was something there that said, I don't wanna do that anymore, although that's my strength, I wanna go in this direction and wanna you know, pursue this real estate career? Yeah, I um, real estate has always been a little bit behind the times uh, when it comes to technological advancement, there's certainly been a lot more recently where there's been a, a lot of investment behind it for um, for the uh, for building utilization and and uh, and brokerage and other uses, certainly architecture. Uh, but for the longest time, it hadn't been. So for me, not only was it uh, a tangible way, it was a way for me to grow my business skills because there were so many aspects to learn and, and do in business but also become a leader because I had the technology chops to be able to apply to an area that had a thirst for it uh, and, and was able to, you know, and I've always been somebody who's been interested in the technology and how it can apply to things. One of the things I'm really into now, frankly, and, and understanding now is how, you know, how virtual reality and technology and 3D visualization are being used in the in the in the real estate workplace and architecture workplace uh, to be able to you know to be able to drive uh, uh, a more efficient design and layout going from concept to CDs and um, and the other part that's kind of really interesting that I'm involved with is data visualization. So if you're managing your firm, forgetting about the design part of it and how to design space is what important metrics do you need to really track and how do you visualize that in order to manage your firm more efficiently as you grow? And that's important whether you're, you know, uh, a one or two person firm or, a, you know, a hundred person firm. And the thing that I focus on mostly when it comes to you know, growth when it comes to things is it's all about communication and structure. And so if you're a, a one person firm, you know, everything that's going on every day, you know, all the calls you're getting, you know, all the problems you have, you know, the finances, but when you get to three people or four people, you're not going to know everything. Some of the protocols change. And then when you get into eight to 10 people, you, you need some systems and you need to be able to do things that are different as you continue to grow to that level and beyond that. And that's what business offense is all about. Um, and, and helping firms get, you know, uh, whatever, whatever, you know, from whatever their distinct levels psychologically and studies have been done that show that there's certain breakpoints in which the level of the systems and the level of the communication protocols needs to, needs to change, um, as, as you continue to grow. When you started your first company, um, did you intend it to be a big giant company that would be acquired by Johnson Technology? 
you know, that, not specifically Johnson, but did you, was the intention from the beginning to grow a big company? No. Uh, I was in my late 20s and my goal, I, I had kind of an entrepreneurial itch. Um, my first job before I went to graduate school was with GTE and their corporate real estate group. GTE is now Verizon. That's before I joined USI. And they went through a lot of change in their business with the economy at the time. And I saw that I wasn't in the core business and I realized I wanted to be in a core business. I wanted to be challenged. I wanted to have an impact and I wanted to have some variety and see where that led. And I wasn't targeting becoming 500. I wasn't targeting being part of a senior partner team that sold the business to Johnson Controls in 2005. I just, I, I just wanted to, um, learn and have an impact at that agency where it took me to now, you know, I'm at a different point in my life. And, and once, you know, once that occurred, frankly, I was, I was like, okay, now I've made some money. I've sold the company. Now, what is it that I want to do where I want to invest and how do I look at my exit strategy for the next things that I'm doing, um, in order to, in order to continue to have an impact, but also give back and also understand, um, what that exit's going to look like if I want to build a sustainable firm. Right. And so you've been through this a few times of building these businesses and, and, and going through the stumbling blocks and, you know, having these obstacles like some of these architects might be doing today, um, building these, three times, these companies three times on my own, three so, times on my own. And then several times with obviously the ones I'm, I'm in a position to help now. So, so what are some of the stumbling, blo stumbling blocks that you discovered along the way when you started your firms? What were some of the, the issues that you experienced that today you can advise others to, to sort of uh, guide them around those, those stumbling blocks? Yeah, um, there, there are a number of stumbling blocks that people run into. Um, and um, frankly, I have a... Uh, a, a, a a list of 10 deadly sins uh, of growing your company that that I have um, formed into kind of a structure that is actually coming out as a book in the short term. Um, and you can find more information about that on my website. But three of the things that I kind of focus on that people have issues with, um, whether they're architectural firms or others, but often architectural firms is making sure you're identifying an appropriate problem that you're trying to solve. Are you just trying to design, you know, if, if you're saying we're great designers and we're great and creative and we, we know how to design great buildings and know everything about that, um, it, there are a lot of people who can do that. There are a lot of people with good backgrounds in architects. But, you know, if um, but if, if there's a firm that's in the business that actually understands that they want to pursue sustainability initiatives, they understand that. Um, that modular construction is is, a, is an important big and big thing, um, that recyclability and speed and cost are important, and you can discern what that problem is and how they're going to address it, you will get, uh, you will segment your customer much better and find that audience uh, more appropriately than trying to provide a solution. So you're actually solving a problem that a customer is looking for. So is it easier to, to become successful in your business if you become an 
expert and you're and you're viewed as an expert rather than being a generalist that you're really good at a lot of things or are you exceptional at one thing uh i have a, a friend and colleague whose name is mike ween and he is uh he has a philosophy and a book out about being uh specific in everything you do um and um great book he's he's a great guy um but um the whole idea is his quote that i always use is you want to be so specific that it hurts <laughs> and what you need to do is you know you need to gauge what the size of your total addressable market may be and try and be a uh, a big fish in a small pond and then grow from there most successful businesses are like that now in the introduction that you gave for me you said I focus on real estate services businesses, but I deal with other services businesses as well. Right. And that's because they can apply to those things, but I don't position myself and market myself that way. So it doesn't exclude things. I think the reason people want to be generalists is they say, well, I'm going to be losing out on some business or some opportunities if I'm, if I, if I am that specific enough. And, and, and what I'm, what I suggest is be as specific as possible, uh, become an expert with a point of view, um, be somebody who gets out there and shares that point of view, but do it solving a problem as opposed to talking about your solution. Yeah, that's very interesting to, to focus on the problem. That, that's, that's something that I think architects throughout the industry, until you get much larger firms where those larger firms are being run by and advised by professional uh, biz, business consultants. But the, the small firms and the medium-sized firms, so many of us want to be this generalist, right? We don't want to miss the opportunity of maybe that next great project and they and and they sort of are afraid to focus in on that that expertise uh, it's a it's a common theme here at entree architect podcast about talking about target market that you need to pick a specific target market and build your company and build your brand around one specific thing like like andy said it's not necessarily that you have to push away everything else and only do that it's just that that's what you want to be known for, so you can become this big fish in the small pond. That's correct. So hundred percent. So so identifying the problem and identifying the problem rather than you know sort of uh, talking more about your solution. So in in terms of architecture and architects, what are some of the problems that we should be sort of you know as an example, what should you know maybe maybe you know rather than saying okay I'm an architect of um, schools, right? That's sort of looking at the solution. What are some of the problems that we can become expertise in? Is that the right word? Uh, well, the experts, yeah. experts, not expertise. <laughs> yeah. Well, in, in real estate in general, people are either, and in business in general, people either look at a, a, a an, an industry type or a property type or a geography. Um, and being somebody who's an expert, architect in an educational vertical is not a bad thing because that's getting fairly specific and there's some fairly unique things about it. Um, there are things relating to terrorism and technology and other things relating to education that are unique and different than there would be in, in, in other buildings and other venues. So, so I, I wouldn't discount that. Mm -hmm. I, I, I think the, I, I think uh, the key thing is there are a lot of people who can build a school. You know, so what is it or build an office building? So what is it that's important about the way people use space? Um, and one of the things that I, 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 you know, that that 
time and time again, people don't know really how to solve um, are, are um, how, how the workforce is changing. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I'm at, I'm at the very edge of the baby boomer um, cycle, um, but they're Gen Xers and millennials and Generation Z and all those namesakes below that. And, and the people who are entering the workforce, um, 40% of the workforce is going to be, um, is going to be um, uh, millennials and Generation Z within the next couple of years. And they care about the impact they're going to make. They don't care about having a lifetime job. They want more work-life balance and the ability to have remote work. And ironically, if you're running a you know if if you're running a business and you're serving a customer or you're running your own business, it makes it challenging because uh, the market's tight and um, it's harder to be deadline-driven. You know, you used to be able to tell an employee. You know, I don't care what it takes. Stay until two in the morning to get it done. There's a deadline and people will, you know, and people, you know, people nowadays will do that somewhat, but somewhat reject that because they've got other things in their life outside of work. Um, Architecture is a very collaborative business in certain aspects of it. So this is counterintuitive because they, they would like to, you know, they want to be able to be on their own and be in their, you know, work out of their home offices and and do whatever and be remote and have the flexibility. But things like conceptual design and schematic design really need to be um, collaborative efforts because that's where the big thinking is. And you get different types of uh, uh, um, collaborative insights by working together and having backgrounds. When you get into design development and CDs and things are more task oriented, like designing the specific bathrooms or the stairwells in a building or an educational building, then it becomes a little bit more task oriented where you can kind of do that thing on your own. So if you're running a business, that becomes, you know, uh, uh, more of a challenge. But I will tell you that that's not that's not a challenge that's just native to the architecture industry. So if you make if you make. Uh, if you can help make uh, companies uh, through their use of space a uh, uh, using that space as an asset to attract people and make them more productive um, based upon your knowledge of the business and knowledge of that vertical, um, you're solving a huge problem because people, you know, people are struggling with that with the with the talent right now. Yeah. And that's only going to get worse. That's that's uh, that's a problem that that if we don't address it uh, at many different levels, that the that new workforce is going to, you know, come head on <laughs> with the brick wall of the current way people do business. And so uh, we all need to sort of adjust and adjusting the spaces in which we work is a big piece of that problem that needs to be solved and a great opportunity for architects. Right. And, you know, the. There's an opportunity for architects to really adapt. I know the whole industry kind of shrunk with the Great Recession about ten years ago, right? And now is you know, and now has bounced back and expanded, and and you know, but you can't be doing business the same way, especially if you want to be recession proof and you want to be resilient and you want to be able to retain your people and attract people and and all the rest. We will return to our conversation after this quick break to say thank you to our platform sponsors, RCAT, FreshBooks, and Gusto. 
If you work with specifications in your firm, you probably have come across outdated manufacturer specs with confusing notes, products that no longer exist, or even maybe even companies that no longer exist. Maybe you even pay for specifications. Stop. Stop right now. There's a better way to find manufacturer specifications for your project documentation. RCAT. RCAT.com. RCAT is the number one most used website for finding building product information and has a free library of over 1,400 up-to-date accurate specifications written by FCSI, CCS, and AIA professionals based on manufacturer's data. Use RCAT's powerful search engine to find the right specifications for your project and quickly download them in multiple formats for free. That's right, RCAT is completely free. You don't even need to register. Just go to RCAT.com. That's A-R-C-A-T.com. RCAT.com. And start building better content today. Do you remember when you started your architecture firm? Well, maybe you're in the middle of that right now. Maybe you are in the middle of launching your architecture firm. It's not easy, is it? It takes lots of late nights, early mornings, and maybe even the occasional all-nighter. Well, we are crazy busy, so why not make things a little bit easier? Well, our friends at FreshBooks have the solution. FreshBooks invoicing and accounting software is designed specifically for small business owners like us. It's simple, intuitive, and keeps you way more organized than a dusty shoebox filled with crumpled receipts. Create and send professional-looking invoices in 30 seconds and then get them paid two times faster with automated online payments. File expenses even quicker and keep them perfectly organized for tax time. Yep, tax time's coming up. And the best part, FreshBooks grows alongside your business, so you'll always have the tools that you need when you need them without ever having to learn the ins and the outs of accounting. Join the 24 million people who've used FreshBooks. Try it for free. Free for 30 days, no catch, no credit card. Visit entrearchitect.com slash freshbooks. Entrearchitect.com slash freshbooks and enter entrearchitect in the how did you hear about us section to get started. Visit entrearchitect.com slash freshbooks. What do you think of when you hear the words payroll and benefits? Payroll and benefits. Does that make your skin crawl? Does it make your spine tingle? Payroll and benefits are hard. It's okay. It's hard, especially when you're a small business like us. You don't have time to be an expert in things like taxes and regulations. A couple of more words that might make your skin crawl. And old school payroll providers just aren't built for the way that we're working today. Gusto is making payroll benefits and HR easy for small businesses. Modern technology does all the heavy lifting, so it's easy to get things right. You no longer have to be a big company to get great technology, great benefits, and great service for your team. To help support the show, the Entree Architect podcast, Gusto is offering our listeners an exclusive deal. Sign up today and you'll get three months free once you run your first payroll. Just go to entrearchitect.com slash Gusto to claim your free three months of payroll processing. That's entrearchitect.com slash gusto for three months free. RCAT, FreshBooks, and Gusto. Please visit our platform sponsors today and thank them for supporting you, 
the Entree Architect community. So the first, the first uh, deadly sin that you were talking about is, is to identify a problem, to make sure that you're solving a problem in what you do and, and become an expert in that problem yep. solving. Uh, what's another one? Sure. We spent a good amount of time on that. Uh, love to share another one. Another one is gaining attention and traction. So it's, you know, there are a lot of uh, uh, companies out there that do good work. But, but it, you know, and they've developed good relationships over the years, but there's new ways to gain attention and traction. There are new ways to price your services. There are new ways to do a, a discovery offer in terms of how you do your work with social media and things like this podcast and their blogs. There are new ways to create content and, and make yourself known so that your reach is broader. Um, uh, and, and you have an ability to to gain traction with new new and different clients to keep that pipeline full. So people who make the mistake thinking, you know, um, I've got a great solution. I've got this new app or I've got this new firm where I put my shingle at and we're going to design great spaces and people are just going to come to us because we're just so great. They're going to find that uh, it being a little bit of an uphill battle. And so. I try and help companies avoid those kinds of mistakes. Yeah, traditionally architects in the past, although it's, it's starting to shift now, but in the past, you know, the mindset was design great work and you'll get more great work, right? And the, the, you didn't have to do anything else. And, it was, and there was actually a time in the profession where it was, it, it was um, against the rules and it was against the etiquette. It was, it was beneath us to, to market ourselves and to make ourselves uh, known through advertising or, or marketing. And that has shifted, you know, that that's now it's clear that we need to build businesses and that we need to do marketing and we need to build brands um, and we need to, to gain attention through the tools that we have in social media. And that's shifting too. the way that people are paying attention are, is different. Just think about in the last 10 years, how uh, our focus has gone from television to the Internet and how, um, you know, advertising on billboards and in magazines really ineffective today whereas social media and being in front of the eyeballs of the the people who are staring at their phone 20 hours a day is where you need to be you need to be in those places where people are looking uh, for what you do and who you are and and become a, a major part of uh, their daily experience right and if you don't it, it, you know if you and your architecture company or design company don't do it, you're going to be left behind because others do. Um, and one of the things that one of the reasons I teach at Georgia State is to give back a little bit to inspire, but to also learn uh, from uh, a younger generation. And one of the things I've seen in talking in the real estate groups at the school and the, and the architecture groups is that um, there's a dramatic shift in the interest of architecture students. So that they, they don't they're not just looking at the standard platforms or obligations and rewards of a traditional practice. Uh, and they take courses outside of architectural school, um, going to business school, earning MBAs, earning their masters of architecture. So they have a, you know, they absorb information differently than we did 10 years ago. Their interests are different. They're going to be either your employees or your consumers of space or your developers or people that you're going to be working with go forward. So you might as well talk to them on the and interact with them on the same playing field. 
uh, and learn specific tools to differentiate yourself to gain that attention and traction in whatever you're doing. And so when I work with companies, it's what can we do better to gain attention and traction in what you're doing? Or if you're looking to grow in one area and implement a new service or product, what is it that you can do to minimize the risk uh, and, and maximize the return given that resources and, and money are finite? What's the difference between gaining attraction and having, uh, I'm sorry, gaining attention and having traction? What's the difference between attraction and attention? <laughs> no, that's not the word. Attention and traction. Sorry. Um, there's a very big difference. Attention is eyeballs. Traction is actually opportunity, Got right? And so, and so it's translating from one to the other. Um, there's something called the, a law of uh, diffusion of innovation. So when somebody brings out a new product, um, you get early innovators or early users who are, who are interested in using your product or service. Um, and they help you get started and provide you some feedback, but you need to get to a traction level above, you know, around the studies have shown like between 15 and 18% in order to be sustainable. And that's why your market has to be defined well enough and, and, and the traction you get with, with people who are actually buying your, your, your product or service. Uh, a good example is like when Apple introduces a new phone they don't have to worry very much about getting that 15 to 18% market share for, for that type of new phone that's being introduced. Um, and so they get, they, they can overcome that barrier to gain momentum and be stable right away because they have those lead users who always want the new technology. Um, when you're doing something, when you're introducing a new product or service, you want to be able to have the same kind of thought about how do I, how do I get that attention to develop that traction to make that business sustainable? Right. So, so, so it's, once you gain that attention, what do you do with that attention in order to move your company forward, which is the traction, right? So you're gaining, you're gaining attention, you're gaining eyeballs, you're gaining potential opportunities. Now, what do you do with all that attention and opportunity? Right. Well, that's, that's the traction part, right? Right. It translates into, into the business, um, you know, that you're validating and wanting to grow. Yeah. Uh, so what's another one? We got, we have two down. Let's do one more before we wrap one things up. One more is yeah. just developing the right partnerships. So if you have, um, if you team with others where there's a win-win, um, you know, you work with a developer who, you know, builds office buildings or industrial buildings and you happen to have a, a niche in that um, and you're geographically proximate, you can complement each other and be a service provider or otherwise and they can provide you more, you know, more business as a result if it's or if it's, you know, um, uh, you know, a company that that multiple companies that work with developers in that business where you would, you know, like a legal firm. Where, or an accounting firm where actually, you know, they focus on the real estate business and you can team up with them and provide, you know, make introductions and provide mutual uh, opportunity for each other. The, those, those extend your reach. They're really important to be able to do. They're very hard to do right. And the reason they're hard to do right is because um, you're introducing a new firm 
to an existing sales team that has goals and objectives for the thing that they're most comfortable selling. And so uh, I've worked with some firms that had a bunch of suppliers and middlemen, but there was no there were there was no meat on the bone in terms of training, in terms of incentives, in terms of how to go to market. Um, and so um, if it's done well, it, it, it can make a huge difference for your firm, no matter how big or small you are, and and uh, and certainly mitigate that risk as you're growing. How do you identify the right partners? Because I mean, our audience, small firms, sole practitioners, we're doing everything right. So our our time is already uh, maximized in terms of capacity. Now I wanted to leverage this, and I want to build some strategic partnerships and understand, you know, find some partners that could take me to the next level. How do I identify the right partners so I'm not wasting my time with the wrong ones? Um, it's really good blocking and tackling, frankly. It's not looking people up on LinkedIn and seeing if they're a fit. Um, first, I think you need to know where your target market is and where your business is heading. Uh, and if you um, identify that properly, you know where the gaps are, where you can actually leverage others to try and get to where you want to go. Then when you go to those industry conferences or you talk to the relationships you have, you, you know, or you do the research online, you, you look for those types of firms in that space. And then you see who can connect you if you're not already connected to those types of firms to kind of establish that relationship. And then you don't go all in. You pilot something. You figure out how to, you know, how to work on something together that will bring mutual benefit. Because there needs to be a cultural alignment too. If one company's really laid back and one company's really hard charging, if one company's really data driven and another company isn't, you know, chances are it might not be as good a fit. So the the products and services have to be complementary. The education and incentives have to be complementary. The culture has to be complementary. But when it works, it makes a huge difference because it can extend your reach much further. Yeah, it, that's very interesting. If if you do the work on the first two that you said that the identifying the problem and becoming a, an expert in in part of your market, and then gaining the attention and and traction that you need to build the business and to and to to attract the right work, those partnerships may just fall into place because now you have a clear definition of who you are and what your brand is, and you've you've uh, did the work to find the right clients and. And, ha and have the right uh, uh, systems in place to have that traction, you know, uh, turn into business. So when you're identifying your partners now, because you've done that other work, it, the idea of who is the right partner will become much more clear. If you don't do that pre-work, if you don't do those first two steps, that third step becomes much more complicated. So true. So true. Uh, the, I, we could go on forever with this. You have 10 deadly sins of growing your company. The book's coming out soon. Uh, so once it comes out, let us know and we will let the community know that it's out and we'll help help uh, spread the word about it. Um, yeah, it'll be, out, it'll be out next month in February and I have a link on my website. Excellent, excellent. The, the, web, the website is midcourseadvisors.com. We'll have a link on the show notes for that. Um, Andy, before we wrap things up here, I want to ask you the one question that I ask everybody. Um, what is one thing that a small firm architect can do today to build a better business for tomorrow? Sure. Um, we didn't talk about business offense. So I thought, you know, that's kind of one of the keys to what I deliver for, for clients that are helping to grow. And so some of the key tenets of business offense are what I suggest to, to folks. Most businesses are very reactionary. 
whatever comes in, whatever they need to address, they've got, you know, ongoing work in process. They're trying to manage, you know, their cash flow or their, uh, or their delivery or their team. Um, and, um, um, what I've seen is a big inhibitor to growth is people who are trying to grow their one person firm or two person firms or 10 person firms. They, they try and do everything uh, and it takes them away from, from being good at doing any one thing. And so my business offense system focuses on two key tenets of leadership. One is, um, predicting the future. And the second one is leveraging others. So if you, if you have a leader who um, who can think vision as a visionary, what you want them to be able to do once their business is somewhat stable is be able to focus on the vision and the strategy of the company and meet with key. Um, so that's, you know, what do you want to be externally? What's your brand look like? How are you going to grow in the next five years? If you have an exit strategy, what is that going to look like? Um, and and be able to work on key projects, meet with key customers, but stay out of the weeds. In order to be able to do that at some point, you need to leverage others. So when you leverage others, you're focusing on operations and delegation. So from an operations standpoint, there's the Pareto principle. What is it that you can, you know, what is it that's task oriented that you can replicate, that you can actually industrialize so that the same work can be done in a consistent way that you have confidence in and the quality and what systems can be put in place. I've done a lot of that in my, in my career to help uh, grow companies is put those systems in place. And then making sure that you have the right butts in the seats to delegate, that they're trained and that they're incentivized properly and that they have development plans and that you can you can, you know, if you're if you're focusing on QuickBooks or you're focusing on, uh, you know, answering customer calls or managing the website and, and um, as opposed to working on where the where your business is going, it's going to be it's going to restrain you from growing as fast as you can. So I help I have all the tools and um, try to keep it simple in terms of business offense, but it allows you to focus on the right things to grow your business. And so. The question was, is what can companies do? It's it's install some of those principles, implement some of those principles, whether you talk to me or not, you know, try to try to bring yourself above the day to day at some point once your business is established and then focus you know, and, and focus on the things that are really going to move the needle and drive the business forward. So your business is sustainable uh, and, and can, can continue to grow while having the systems in place to be able to uh, manage the day-to-day confidently. You may be one of those architects that are sort of struggling with growth, getting it to the next level, sort of you've you've hit this plateau and you just don't know how to get it to the next level. Andy is exactly the type of person that you need to talk to, whether you're talking to Andy or you're talking to somebody similar to what Andy does, um, that's that's what you need to do. You need to talk to somebody who's been through the process understands how businesses grow. They've done it before themselves. They've built some of these strategies like Andy's business offense. You know, he knows how to do it. So if you're interested in learning more about Andy, uh, midcourseadvisors.com is the website. You could just let him know that Entree Architect sent you and uh, and he'll spend some time with you to sort of understand what your business is about and how and if he's the right guy to uh, to help you get to the next level. So. Uh, Andy, this has been a really great conversation. I appreciate you spending some time here with us and and sharing your knowledge here at Entree Architect Podcast. 
Thank you for having me. It's been a great uh, discussion. You've been listening to episode 308. If you'd like to access the show notes or share a link to this episode, which I would really love for you to do, the link is entrearchitect.com slash episode 308. If you found value in this and you want to share it with a friend, please share a link to entrearchitect.com slash episode 308. Do you own or are you a partner in a larger small firm? It's still a small firm. That's our community, small firms. And it's not a large firm. It's somewhere in the middle. It's a not-so-small firm. We call them not-so-small firm. It's a firm with some, some growth and some experience, a firm with a few employees, and you want to grow to the next level, but you sort of hit this plateau, right? Owners of larger small firms have different goals and different priorities than sole practitioners and smaller firm owners. It, it took much effort and determination and financial sacrifice to reach the level of growth that you have achieved and now you're trying to move your firm to the next level. You recognize and understand that the strategies that helped you to achieve your current success won't get you to the next step. It won't get you to the firm that you have planned for the future. What you've done in the past is not going to get you to where you wanna go. You need to do something different. You need support, you need guidance, and you need to collaborate and share with other architect business owners who are passionate about growth and financial success just as passionate as you are. Leaders who understand that with that sustainable growth and that financial abundance, you will acquire the capacity to build a better world, right? To serve the world better as an architect. The more money you make, the more you earn, the more you can give back to the world, the better you can serve the world as an architect. That is why we developed a powerful new program exclusively for experienced architecture firm owners. It's an advanced peer advisory group. It's called Entree Architect Leadership Council. And you can learn more right now at entrearchitect.com slash leaders, entrearchitect.com slash leaders. If you're interested, go there right now because the app application is going to close very soon. So if you're interested in Entree Architect Leadership Council, go there now, entrearchitect.com slash leaders. Love, learn, and share what you know. Thanks for listening, my friends. Have a great week. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything, yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. 
in drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively that <laughs> then you know in your head you've rooted like oh i'm connected to these people like long term the process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges demanding meticulous planning flawless execution and unyielding resilience i kind of hate the term because it's so overly used but i think everybody knows imposter syndrome and i think it's it's so real to this day i i, I don't know if it's with everybody but with me i'm always questioning like us can we do this are we ready to do this are we prepared can we do it did we just decide a name <laughs> we did it guys oh my the one that God. came out of nowhere Woo! it came out of nowhere i liked it i saw it ready to turn your aspirations into reality follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to emerging and chart your own path to architectural success Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There is a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is gonna be a priority. When the job is done, we're gonna actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. <laughs> so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like, that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.